the level of ideas that we're getting into our innovation funnel is just really low. They're just all incremental. And then you look at the data and you go, look, this is why. There's no clarity around strategy, right? So you've got the culture bit nailed, great leadership, everyone's positive, but where you're falling down is clarity around strategy or the tone seems to be that the organization thinks you want a focus on short-term results versus looking at innovation for the long-term. Or, and you see senior teams literally go, that's so true. I get it. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see it. And one of the things that's made a real difference is very, very quickly, years and years ago, we eradicated the strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, hey, agree, yeah. strongly agree. Uh-huh. And we replaced those five possible answers with what we call answer prompts or statements of truth. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Hope you're all doing well out there and staying warm across the globe. Everybody I talk to is saying it's cold. So, so wherever you live, maybe in, maybe in the Southern Hemisphere, it's warm. I don't know. My guest today is Chris Beswick. Now, Chris has been on our show before. He's the co-founder of Outcome, which is a, a boutique innovation advisory firm. And he's the best-selling author of Building a Culture of Innovation, a practical guide for placing innovation at the core of your business. And he's a thinker, a strategic advisor on innovation, leadership, and culture. And in fact, that's what we talked about last time was two episodes on on innovation culture and how to build it. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's an absolute pleasure to be back. I always appreciate the invites from from you, Paul. So great to see you and a pleasure to be back. And, And you're right. It was leadership last time. Yeah. You've been probably pretty busy since the last time we spoke. What are you up to these days? So absolutely in line with what we're going to talk about today. As you said, I'm the co-founder of Outcome, which I run with Dan Thomas. So I'm I'm really fortunate to run our advisory firm with someone who's much smarter than I am. So I, I definitely stand on the shoulder of giants. So Dan and I have been really, really busy, huge amounts of work, different region for us for the majority mm. of last year. So a lot of work out in the Middle East for some really, really progressive clients based in predominantly in Abu Dhabi, but all across that region. And in line with what we're going to talk about today, loads of work on innovation maturity, helping this, I can't name the client because of the NDA, but helping this particular client and their their portfolio of companies understand the maturity level and the readiness and the start point for the companies across the whole group. So really, really interesting work out there. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we we've also seen a a uh, a little bit of growth of business in that region as well. So, yeah, they are focusing more on processes and tools and 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 understanding where they fit on that curve of innovation. So, I can I can I can relate to that. Yeah. So, let's let's just go right into what what is innovation maturity? <laughs> okay. <laughs> right into the deep end. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, so Let's just peel back one or two layers first to set the context. And this will probably resonate with with everyone, but Dan and I have a really specific view on, on how we help the companies we work with build their innovation capability. And 
we don't use different any different language to anyone else, but we talk about the innovation system, and that's what we help build. And that innovation system, our version of that, and how we depict that is five interconnecting blocks. And those blocks are strategy, processes, governance or management, and culture and leadership. Some people call the governance bit innovation management. We specifically like to stick with governance because when we talk about the leadership bit, we also talk about management and leadership. So we just, but in essence, it's semantics and different people have different labels. But what we talk about is how do we build that system? So how do those interconnecting blocks work together in harmony as one engine, as as one system? And what we're striving to do in organizations, big, big and small, obviously more complex in the big corporates that we work for, but what every organization should be striving to do in terms of building its capability to repeatedly innovate is to build that system. And for those interconnecting blocks to be really aligned and work really, really well. And one of the keys to doing that is that all of those blocks need to be at a similar maturity level, i.e. developed to the same level. So you can't have a really, really, really sophisticated, complex, really forward-thinking innovation strategy and hope to succeed if your capability to lead for innovation is really underdeveloped. So think old school, you and I are gentlemen of a certain age, Paul. So think old school graphic equalizer, right? <laughs> Those yeah. faders, you can't have one at the top and one right at the bottom, right? There's an imbalance. And what we're doing when we measure innovation maturity is we're measuring those blocks. So we're measuring two things. We're measuring the capability of an organization and how well embedded that capability is into the culture of that organization. So for each of those five blocks, when we measure innovation maturity with the tool that we have, we're measuring those components and we're measuring elements of each of those, we call them pillars, innovation pillars, innovation system pillars. We're measuring numerous components for each of those pillars and how embedded and developed those components are across an organization. So everything from, take a really simple one. One of the first questions that when we assess maturity, we ask is around definition of innovation. So think of unsophisticated low maturities. No, we, there's no definition of innovation across the organization. In fact, there's complete confusion about what innovation is. Right up to, yes, we have a a really clear, well-defined, well-understood definition of innovation which resonates across the whole organization so low maturity low performance high maturity high performance really and what we're measuring for each question in when we measure maturity is we're measuring whereabouts an organization is in between those two what's the delta in between those two points so it's it can be quite complex well it is quite complex only because of the number of questions you need to ask and the variables in terms of the answers between all those questions. Does that make sense? Is that a good enough sort of overview? Makes total sense. I like the I like the idea of them being equal. I and, and I, I got the sense in listening to you that this is not just, well, where are you in strategy from one to ten? Right? There's a, a whole host of questions that that will set that up, right? Yeah. 
so we've developed a piece of software that, that, that now, you know, you and your organization know software intimately, right? So and you understand, you'll know the power of software in terms of being able to do these kinds of assessments and measurements at scale. So everything that the tool we have is called AIM, which is uncreatively just short <laughs> for the assessment for innovation maturity. Right? There you go. But what we're measuring, yes, we're measuring multiple components. So we have a strategy pillar, but there's multiple questions in that pillar, ranging from definition to whether organizations have a mixed portfolio of activity or whether innovation strategy and corporate strategy are, are as one or whether they're aligned or not. So imagine the delta that you can then, then uncover. Are those strategies actually in conflict or are they perfectly aligned and harmonious or somewhere in between? And we're measuring that. We're, we're looking for the delta between for all of those questions. And in essence, what we're really looking for is polarization. So where 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 some, where an innovation maturity assessment and being able to model it helps organisations is where we uncover hidden what we call hidden deltas, right, and hi, hidden polarisation. So classic is senior leadership team says they have a really clear strategy for innovation, and seventy percent of employees answer. Well, we think we've got a strategy and it's talked about, but we've never seen it. That that kind of um, give giving you a really tangible example there. That kind of polarization is why a lot of companies struggle with innovation. So, what AIM specifically uncovers is it highlights where those, that polarization is, or indeed, in some cases, where there's absolute alignment. And because then an organisation says, "Look, we've got this bit. Don't focus energy on." on trying to do more of this or fix something that isn't broken. Here are four or five things that we now know are really holding our innovation capability back. We, we call them red flags. So the system that we use, the tool that we use has been designed to raise what we call red flags. So questions where the score is so low or the polarization is so great that the expectation is that's likely to be something holding the organization back. And what we do in essence is when we measure, we then in essence present those red flags to a senior team and say, look, here's all of the data suggests these are the four or five things that are probably holding your organization back. Um, and that becomes the the transformation journey or the, the challenge then is how does that organization remove those red flags, remove those blockers? That sounds fantastic. How many questions are we talking about? We have five pillars. Yeah. And in total, there's 60 questions. So it's not a small assessment, but then again, it's not a huge one. And the, the, the challenge here is there's always that, that tension between an assessment being too light and then an assessment being too deep and too un, unwieldy. And Dan and I have, we've, designed various versions of AIM over the past six or seven years. And we've now settled. In fact, we've, we're actually working on it today. We we may cut two questions out just because of the data that we constantly get back. We're always refining the tool and refining the questions and refining the answers. So we how how we build it, and there are there are multiple 
maturity models out there. Just to, to digress though, because I think it's a really important point. It's really important not to conflate an innovation maturity model with an innovation maturity questionnaire or what what is labeled an assessment, but actually isn't modeled on anything. What we use is is very much the latter. We use a, a model. And the, the difference being a true model will won't be linear. So i.e. an assessment or a questionnaire will be 20 questions or even 60 like ours, but the answer that you get is just the total answer divided by the number of questions. What's really important to understand about innovation maturity is the maturity development curve that organizations go through is like an S-curve, so it's non-linear. But the, the, it's, it's also disproportionate. So we did two, three years worth of research before we even built the first version of the tool we use. So we modeled dozens and dozens and dozens of companies around the world from low-performing, low-maturity organizations to very, very high-performing, highly mature organizations. And we, we mapped out the different stages of maturity. What we were able to graphically do is plot the innovation curve. And every time we assess an organization now, they, we show them where they sit on the curve. What's really important to understand when you really delve into innovation maturity is the best way to describe it is our model scores organizations from zero to four. If you score a two, on paper, that's 50% the way there, right? But scoring a two, so theoretically, if, if it was a linear assessment, 50% from no innovation maturity to fully embedded innovation maturity, in reality, a two is only about a fifth of the way along that innovation journey. Mm -hmm. Because the... The components at the start of an organization's innovation journey are much, much easier to put in place as you grow and your maturity level increases, increasing that maturity level becomes harder and harder. So think, think of it as climbing, climbing K2, right? The, the first, the first part of that man of, of, of climbing or, or Everest or anywhere, the first part, super easy. As you go up, the oxygen depletes and it becomes more and more and more difficult. And every 100 yards is 10 times the effort to get there. And innovation maturity is the same. So what we now have is we now, how we've built our version of innovation maturity is every question in our assessment. So those 60 questions that, that we talked about before, every one of those questions is linked to a specific maturity level. So we have four levels and each question is weighted to that to a specific maturity level. So to give you a practical example, if you, unlike a linear questionnaire, you could score in, you, let's say there's 10 questions in the strategy section of an assessment and you score, you score two on five of those questions and four on the other five, your yeah. average is three, right? Right, done, um, yeah. <laughs> the reality is that's not how life really works. What you can't do is say, we have a, we score very, very highly on this question, but very, very poor on this question. But because of the average score, we're doing okay. So certain questions in our model, if you don't answer the question with a high enough score, 
it will hold your score back to that level. So it it holds organizations back and it holds scores back so that you can't game the system by saying, well, our average score is high, therefore we're doing okay. And it's proved to be really, really important because what we now know empirically and from all the data that we have is if we didn't do that, it would be very easy for organizations to say, hey, look, our average score is X, we're doing okay. On the curve, our innovation maturity looks quite high. And what they wouldn't really unpack are the real barriers that are holding them back. So falsely scoring an organization because there's no waiting to questions, does organizations a disservice? That's what we found over the years. That's fantastic. A lot of research uh, behind that, I'm sure. And understanding what I need to do, right? Okay, I know where I am now and I know where I want to be and understanding this is where I am today, where I want to be is going to be easier. It's going to be very difficult, right? I think I can almost visualize it on, on an S curve and I'd want to know where am I on that S curve? Very, very fascinating stuff. Yeah. And what, what we also, what we've done now for several clients and it's becoming a fairly regular ask is we develop what we call the net, a next steps approach. And in, in simple layman's terms, it's we've scored here. We are here on the maturity curve. This is our maturity level, and here's here's the answer for all of the questions that, that we've answered. And here are the ones that the system has red flagged and said, look, these, it's likely looking at the scores, looking at how everyone in the organization answered, it's the data suggests that these these four or five things will be blocking innovation, like be holding you back. And the question that a lot of clients asked is, well, we now know what our maturity level is and we know the maturity level of each question so it's not just an overall level it's how mature have we developed um each of these questions and the question that keep that kept coming back from clients is okay but what next so we for multiple clients now we've developed what we just simply refer to as a next steps framework which is if you score here what do you now need to do so that if you if you ask that question again in your organization, the organization would score here. What are the next steps that you as an organization need to take to increase the maturity of that specific question? And the whole next steps approach is something that most of the organizations that we're talking to now want to sort of take on board because that framework allows individual managers and leaders across their organizations to not have to rely on consultancy support, but to be able to say, right, let's let's get the team together. Let's look at the framework in our business unit. Here's where we've scored compared to the rest of the organization. Looks like we're we're being held back by these red flags, these certain questions that we might not have developed enough. Let's look at the framework. What do we need to do next? And then in six, 12 months, they take the assessment again and hopefully they've they've shifted the score on those things and hopefully removed those those red flags, those barriers. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. What size companies are we talking here? Is it small, big, all? We have had small companies take it. So the smallest company is was three about 350 people, right up to companies with tens of thousands, 50, 60, 70,000 people. The, the interesting thing is from a, from a data accuracy point of view, the bigger the company is, the smaller the sample size we need, um, and and that that's just just how data accuracy and 
and and confidence works when you start getting responses from you know numbers of people so proportionally a smaller organization is going to need more headcount to complete the assessment than than a 50,000 organization head headcount the caveat being the the answers have to be random across the organization from all hierarchy levels and from all departments, business units, et cetera. So it's got to be a really random sample set. But when we get the data in, we we can then slice that. And how we look for some of those those areas of polarization is we slice the data by department, business unit, geography, hierarchy in the organization. And we can interrogate the data um, across all of those different filters to say, look, there's no difference in answer to this question between these business units, but actually, if we change the filter, there is a there's real polarization between the leadership team and the middle management in those business units, and we're then able to really surgically say you haven't got a macro problem on that question, but you've got a a micro problem in this part of the organization with these two groups of people. There's a disconnect, so it allows us to be really surgical. Rather than going in saying, hey, look, this particular question is an issue. You've got to do this whole transformation thing. Right. You need to pay us millions of dollars <laughs> to solve this one thing. We prefer to be really surgical. And you can only do that and be really accurate about the advice that you give clients when it's data-driven, when you have that real depth of data and you're able to slice the results. Fantastic. Yeah. Every word you say just just continues to reinforce the amount of uh, depth in this whole this whole model, this whole process. But Chris, if I wanted to, how to, what's the engagement model look like? Supposing a company said, "Yeah, we want to do this." How would you? How do you start it? Yeah, so it's super simple, and we've done we, again. We've like most you'll know this, <laughs> you'll know this, Sophia, right? Software is one of those things where we've been through all the different iterations, <laughs> right? And the the easiest way that we found, which almost exclusively now, and we we we'll shift to the to this model, I think, because it's very very rare that we don't get asked to do it in any other way. Our system, so we customize the system like any bit of software. We can okay. put logos on, yeah. and colors, and we can make it look like it's from any client around the world. But we really really simply we send a client a URL. And there's some pre-coms that goes out before this telling employees, hey, look, we're running in a maturity model. We want you to answer. It's completely anonymous. No one can track your answers, yada, yada, yada. All of the you know, the good pre-coms that you have to do with anything. But literally, a client sends the URL out on their internal email address to all of their employees. So we, we mitigate GDPR. We're not storing anyone's data, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And we open the assessment. We leave it running for a couple of weeks. We have a small, a little tool, a little Excel tool that helps us understand. We agree the data accuracy we want. Let's say it's 95% accurate compared to if 100% of employees took the assessment. If we're happy with 95% or 90% accuracy, whatever we agree with the client, we then can say for that level of accuracy, we need X responses board we create reports etc and then typically we get end up getting engaged to then guys can you help us sort out these red flags right <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but it's it's really that simple it's an online dashboard the client has access to it 
They can look at their data, they can compare it, they can filter it. But the key thing is it removes subjectivity for the, from the boardroom conversation around why aren't we seeing the results from our innovation investment? Why is HR saying they're struggling to embed innovation, innovation-focused behavior in the organization? All of the different things that senior leaders have conversations around in terms of saying why we're not seeing the level of capability across the organization that we know we really need. And it removes subjectivity from the conversation about why isn't that happening? And it, it, it's data-driven. It's super interesting. But, well, I, I think it's interesting. But Did you ever have a customer say, well, we're just going to ha- ask the leaders what they think, which would be yeah, a disaster, we, we, right? D- we don't allow it because the, the reality yeah. is whether a client says, hey, look, we, we just want to send it to these people or whether they, they say they want to send it to the whole organization, the cost to the client is the same. The reality is when you send it to one group of people, the data's pointless. So yeah, we we just we we politely decline those engagements. The the whole the whole point to measuring innovation maturity and having the data, whether whether clients use use AIM, our tool, or, or someone else's, the whole point to this whole subject about measuring innovation maturity is to say how do we make data-driven decisions on how to push our organization forward? How do we remove the subjectivity that we have in the boardroom as senior leaders about why we're not able to, to really progress and drive innovation in the way that we think we should? And how, where do we get the data from that informs us about what action to take and how to support our organization? And the only way to do that is with, with AIM or with some kind of maturity model. The great parallel for organizations is annual employee engagement surveys. You wouldn't anecdotally say, let's sit the senior team down once a year and have a chat about what we think engagement level is like, right? Yeah. Because some people are engaged, some people aren't. Some people aren't engaged because of A, B, and C. Some people are more engaged because of X, Y, and Z. And all of that, those multiple facets you have to have some way of codifying all that data and presenting it so that you can go, okay, right, that's why this is happening. And that's why we're not seeing growth there because actually we don't have this in place or the strategy isn't clear or whatever it is. And that data-driven view is the best way for senior leaders to make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. You've got the data. You can't can't argue with the data. When I think, and I again, this is going to be very, very subjective comment because I don't have the tools, I don't have the questions. And, but when I think about those five pillars, in all my experience working across companies, my intuition is they're not equal. And it would be a tremendous learning to, to actually understand our processes are great, but our, our culture is not, or our culture is good, but we're doing a, we're not doing a good job on governance exactly or that. whatever it is. I, I can imagine understanding the differences across those five pillars. I love the five pillars. I think that's very insightful. And like I said, everything I've ever seen tells me that there's a great inequality across those pillars. Is that, is that what you see when you do it? Absolutely. So we, exactly to your example there, we see some clients who say, you know, we've got a great culture, we've got great people, the level of talent in our organization is absolutely phenomenal. Our employee engagement scores are are superb every year, but the level of ideas that we're getting into our innovation funnel is just really low. They're just all incremental. And then you look at the data and you go, look, 
This is why. There's no clarity around strategy, right? So you've got the culture bit nailed, great leadership, everyone's positive, but where you're falling down is clarity around strategy or the tone seems to be that the organization thinks you want a focus on short-term results versus looking at innovation for the long-term. Or, and you see senior teams literally go, that's so true. I get it. Yeah, I, I, can, I can see it. And one of the things that's made a real difference is, and again, we're not doing anything unique here, but we've built AIM on, on in essence, on a Likert scale. So it's a five-point Likert scale. But very, very quickly, years and years ago, we eradicated the strongly disagree, disagree, neutral, right. agree, yeah. strongly agree. Uh-huh. And we replaced those five possible answers with what we call answer prompts or statements of truth. So when we play the data back, yes, you'll have a numerical score from zero to four for each question, but you'll also have a statement of truth. So you'll have a sentiment that matches the whole organization. And what we found is when we used to go into boardrooms and say, right, guys, we've got the data, the assessment's closed. The answer to this question was neutral. Yeah. <laughs> was, right. right? Yeah. It's like, it's okay, a, yeah. well, it's neither bad nor good, but <laughs> what did we do about it, right? Whereas we now go back and we go, okay, the answer to this question and definition is there are multiple definitions of innovation across the organization. And what we instantly get is senior senior leaders in that room going, do you know what? Why is why have we like yes we know that I heard two examples of innovation yesterday like why haven't we figured out that and sometimes it's really obvious but sometimes even the most blindingly obvious isn't True. that obvious yeah and and small things like like that and just being able to play that narrative back and we've seen senior teams literally light up in a room and go that's it. I can. I absolutely agree with. Yeah, it's great. Rather than going, the answer was neutral, guys. What do we do? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Or your people agree. And and what we found is those prompts. We enter into instant dialogue with with a senior team, rather than go. Let's discuss what neutral means. Does anyone have any ideas why the company has answered neutral? We instantly get into senior people in the room going, yeah, do you know what, guys, I completely agree because I know that Char this one and I had a conversation last week with our R&D department. They talk about it in this vein. So, right, that makes absolute sense. That's what we have to solve. And we, we have that level of fidelity for every question in the assessment. So we have rich dialogue about every question. Yeah. It's got to be very rewarding to you to, to see that reaction, feel that reaction of the executive team. That's, that's the ultimate. Uh, you're onto something when you get that. That's fun. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. Look, we're, we're now applying the same thinking to portfolio companies. So holding companies, investment companies that have that either own outright or have, have significant stakes in multiple organizations. So we're able to use AIM as a pre-investment tool. So we have clients now, investment firms and holding companies that that aggressively go out to acquire either outright or, or, or significant stakes. And their core driver is driving growth through innovation. So they know that when they acquire an organization, they're going to want that organization to drive innovation. So part of the pre-qualification and the due diligence for their investment is where is this organization that we're really interested in on the maturity curve? Brilliant. 
Absolutely. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, Chris, it's been a real fun discussion. Reflecting back on it, did we miss something? Which you kind of wouldn't want to wouldn't want to call it to a close and say, "Oh, wait for we should have covered something." No, I think I think we've covered we we got some really granular bits about the whole con the, the whole topic of innovation maturity. I think what's important for organizations to understand is that first bit is innovation for years and years was focused purely on. Have we got the right canvas? Have we got the right tool? Are we using the right methodology? And you know what what we know over the years is senior teams have have not seen results from innovation because they've said, well, we're not going to tackle the culture and leadership bit. Let's focus on processes and tools and, and frameworks. Um, uh, and now organisations are realising that they might have great strategy and they've everyone's been to IDEO and done design thinking training, but actually it's not shifted the needle because other parts of that, that, that whole, let's look at how we can measure those and assess those different components then. And, and it's at that point that they're, that's, that's when a client's ready to properly, how we can measure those and assess those different components then. That's, that's when a client's ready to properly measure innovation maturity. Got it. Got it. Great summary. Chris, if somebody wants to get started, yeah, what's the best way to, to kind of reach out to outcome and, and, and find out more and how do you get going? Yeah. So we are outcome.co. Um, we'll put a link out. in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. So they can check us out on there. Anyone can contact me directly. I've spent the past probably nearly 10 years now sort of leading the thinking on innovation maturity and, and, and hopefully trying to pioneer the whole subject of innovation maturity. So that's where my passion comes from. So anyone feel, yeah, people can reach out on, on LinkedIn, yeah. if, even just for an off the record chat about the subject, about how to do it, about what the benefits are, and sometimes even whether their organization's ready for it. Because the key thing, like anything, is once you measure it, you need to be prepared to take action with the data that you then have and the insight that you then have. I, I know you're also writing, so you've written some really great articles, so people need to kind of check some of those out too. Yeah, there's some on maturity. They'll be on, on the, the blog part of the website, so there'll be stuff there from me. There's loads of stuff from Dan. Yeah, and, and more to come, more books on maturity and more books on leadership maybe right. in 2024. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, Chris, been fun conversation. It's really fascinating. So, so great what you're doing. I think it it is it is really. I hope that companies they assess their maturity, they they improve their maturity, they measure it in six months later or a year later, and they they just keep on it because that's a great topic. And I thank you for coming on board, joining us, and sharing the entire topic. It was a fun conversation. My pleasure. Thanks, Paul. Good. And we'll keep in touch, get you yes, back again. absolutely. Reach out to Dan and see what he has to say. <laughs> Definitely. Have a great week ahead, Chris. Thanks. And you. Thanks, Paul. Hope you all enjoyed that. This is a fascinating topic, and I can't encourage you enough to check into it and, and really look at understanding your company's uh, maturity and, and where you want to take it around innovation. Uh, it's a great way to get better. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.